People always ask me what type of marketing we do at the practice to see on average 165 new patients each and every month. And I always say the same thing, reviews. And more importantly, I rank high on Google. You may have heard me talk in the past about how my practice's website and Google search ranking has been the most beneficial element to my practice's growth. Well, I've been happily working with the same marketing person for the past four years, and now you can too. Relevance Online Marketing will take you from non-existence to the top of the pack using their revolutionary approach to SEO and pay-per-click advertising. No contracts, no BS, and only the results that you can take to the bank. So if you are looking for a marketing company that gives your practice the attention and care it deserves, look no further than Relevance Online Marketing. Mention Dental Practice Heroes and get your first month free, risk-free, with absolutely no obligations. Relevance Online Marketing will take your online marketing from zero to hero. Go to RelevanceOnlineMarketing.com and set up a demo today. That's RelevanceOnlineMarketing.com and gear up for some real practice growth. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another edition of Dental Practice Heroes Clinical. I got the clinical gurus on here, the people from Colorado Surgical Institute, Dr. Tahir Dune and Dr. Daniel Brisky. What's happening, guys? Hey, brother. What's going on, dude? So last time we talked about bone block grafts, and until we had talked about that, I always thought they were like you cut them out of someone's hip or something like that. So this was a that was an interesting one for me, but yeah, you guys really made it easy, and it sounds like it's not as complicated as as I thought it was. It's this one. What are we talking about? We're going to talk about the the lovable sinus. Yeah, <laughs> the lovable sinus. Yeah, <laughs> it sounds like a children's book. <laughs> <laughs> Paul, I'm so glad you said that too, because honestly, I feel that's probably the biggest hurdle in terms of teaching world is people don't realize how quotation easy some of these procedures actually are because we're built to believe that in dental school that we shouldn't be doing almost everything besides a filling or a crown and gosh that is just so untrue that I really hope everyone out there understands that if you feel like that way I really don't want you to think like that because it's not true. Nice nice and and I like that we're going to talk about the sinus today because I think like I do like a vertical sinus. And when I started doing these, it just, there was so many more cases I could do because there's so many that's where like you got six to eight millimeters, you know, upper first molar. And you're, you're partially like, well, I can kind of get an eight millimeter in there, but part of you deep down knows you should probably lift it a little bit, but I'll let you guys take it from here. What do we do? So I would probably split it up into like three categories. You know, we just talk about how much vertical bone height you have. Um, in terms of where the sinus is. So one is two to four millimeters. The second is four to seven millimeters. And the third is seven to 10 millimeters. Two to four millimeters, you know, a bone, we recommend a lateral sinus. You can see some cases, I call them show-off cases, where you see like two millimeters of bone and this person did like a 12 millimeter vertical sinus with a versaber, right? I mean, it's not reproducible. Let's not all lie to ourselves here. That's not a predictable way. And I'd argue it's probably not the best way to show people that you can do cases because I don't think that that's really, you can't do that over and over. (laughs) Yeah, ideally, you know, there's a lot of things we can do. And when we get in a pinch, me and Brisky go MacGyver and get creative. But from from the perspective of teaching, it's like, let's, let's do this predictably. So yeah, laterals. And then if you're over that four millimeter mark, is that what you said, Brisky? You go into yeah. the vertical? Four to seven millimeters. That's when we do a vertical sinus lift. 
so intracrestal, right, just through your osteotomy of the implant. And then anything from 7 to 10 millimeters, you can actually just place the implant. And I always have everyone's eyes get really big when I say that. They're like, what do you mean you can just place the implant? <laughs> what do you mean uh, you can just place the implant? <laughs> yeah, yeah, right? Like, shouldn't I be scared of the sinus? <laughs> no, you should not be scared of the sinus. So if you have 7 to 10 millimeters of bone, if you place an implant, 8 millimeter implant, or a nine millimeter implant, you can place an implant up to up to three millimeters into the sinus with no issues that will happen. And the membrane is going to spontaneously reform around the implant. So we get a ton of questions like, oh, my patient was in pain. I'm engaging the sinus floor. I'm like, well, well, fantastic. I'm glad that you engaged the sinus floor because now your implant's more stable. And the patient's pain has nothing to do with <laughs> the fact that it's engaging the sinus. Yeah, I have a follow-up question for this. So how deep are you taking your osteotomy? Are you just taking it to the, the cortical bone and then you're pushing through it? Or are you? Yeah, you take it basically just past the cortex. We're not advocating to like blow through it, you know, like seven, three, four or five millimeters. But if you have, let's say, eight millimeters of bone, then I would prep to a nine. Because what you don't want to happen is you don't want to be screwing in your implant and then you get down to the eight millimeter depth then your implant starts to spin because you're engaging the sinus floor and your implant just hits a wall and it starts spinning. And then it augers, yeah. Yep. And consider it this way. When we do full arch cases, we engage the base of the nose, we engage, we pop into the sinus, we engage the sinus. If you do zygomas, you're just troughing right through the sinus. Transnasal, transsinus techniques, pterygoids, man, they are not respecting the sanctity of the sinus at all and just being completely fine. So then when we look at this from a vertical perspective, yes, let's go for perfection. Let's go for the, the brownie points and not tear the membrane and all of the above. But if you're popping that implant in a couple of millimeters into the sinus, put a little PRF or PRP. If you don't do PRP, PRP in your practice, maybe like a collar plug, maybe it's soaked in a little gentamicin and then just follow your implant up there. So it just tense the sinus up just a little bit. And I've done sinus lifts with only PRP lifting the membrane and coming back in and years later showing like bone, bone growth over the top, actual native bone growth because there's no cortical allograft having to get turned over anymore. So from that perspective, just know it's not as scary as you think it is. And if you have a tear, it's not as bad as you think it is either. Yeah. And I feel like the biggest question I get when people are asking me, well, should I be a vertical or not? And I tell them, like, you have to be honest with yourself in terms of how high that bone is. Because if you're measuring it and you're like, oh, you know what? That 6.2 millimeters looks like a seven. I'm going to do just place the implant. Like, no, like that's not following the rules that we have for it, right? Like, you have to be honest with yourself. And, you know, if you measure it, like, be honest with yourself in terms of how much bone there really is. So you're not doing the wrong procedure here. <laughs> now, there's a lot of different ways to do it. I'm a fan of the Blue Sky Bio Vertical Sinus Lift Kit. There are a lot of people who like the Versas, and I got no knock on Versas. I guess the only negative, I would say, is the cost of the Versa Burrs, because from that perspective, they're insanely expensive. They dull kind of quick, at least from what I've heard from other people. And you can get it done with other kits that will last years, like my Blue Sky Bio Kit I've had for six or seven years now, and it's going strong. So that's my take. And then osteotomes and a mallet, I'd say retire those. Sounds like fireworks going off in the patient's head if they're not sedated. 
and I don't think right now you need to be using a mallet anymore unless you're like doing a pterygoid. Yeah, I mean, I like Versa's great system, but I do think it's very technique sensitive. You can overheat and cook the bone very, very easily. So if you're going to use Versa, you really need to know how to use it. So don't just start exploring with the system on how to use it. You really need to take a class with it. Don't you do the Versas like in reverse at a 50-50? So you're not like, you're not cooking it? Yeah, a ton of water, a ton, a ton, a ton of water. Yeah, but you can cook the bone. So we're not the biggest advocates for teaching on it because I still think to this day that people can get into trouble and my job is to make sure people don't get in trouble. So with vertical sinuses, we have a couple of different options. One would be the Blue Sky Bio, like a hammerless type of kit. Uh, Another option would be like a hydraulic lift, right? It uses water pressure to raise the sinus floor, which is also a great way to do it. We still love to use the Blue Sky Bio hammerless kit. So both of us do. (laughs) We can do one in like five minutes, (laughs) right? Like start to finish. So it's very, very straightforward once you actually learn how to use it. Yeah, a lot of people, their question, and I've answered this on DSN before, which is just some online forum that me and Brisky are surgical faculty members are on. But when you go in, they're like, well, what if your sinus floor is at seven and a half and your drill stop stops at each increment? Well, you drill to your seven and then you check the floor, you check your osteotomy with this little round, you know, it's almost like a ball burnisher. And you have a stopper on that that's one millimeter further than when you, where you drilled. So if by accident you slip inside the sinus, the stopper is still stopping you from tearing the membrane with what you're checking with. So you check it. You check all the walls, make sure you're not through or make sure you're through. If you're not through, then you size up your drill to the next stopper and then pop through. The drill stoppers are set up in a way where the the end cutting component of it will cut through the antral floor and pop into the sinus, but it actually won't tear the membrane unless you drop in too far. And that's why you have a stopper and you go in one millimeter increments because it's, it's not impossible with biology. There's never, never, and never and always. So, I mean, from that perspective, you can still tear it, but it's super, super uncommon to tear it. And then what I like to do is I take a piece of PRF and if it's a good slug, I'll cut it into four pieces and then I'll actually pack that up into the osteotomy first because that's my hydraulic lift of the membrane. That's a very soft, squishy material that's going in and not tearing the membrane like any cortical material and lifting it up. And then if it's a small lift, I just put a bunch of PRF up there. And if it's a big lift, then PRF first and then cortical cancellus goes into the sinus followed by the implant. And I'm pretty sure I skipped over a couple of steps. So Brisky, go ahead and feel free to go back and fill in the blanks. I got a question here to hair is if you... Are you trying to, when you're measuring it to see if there's still floor there, are you trying to break through that sinus floor with that instrument and not the osteotomy burr? Well, I'll, I'll try to pop through it with the osteotomy burr. So usually what happens is you drill through, you know, it's medullary bone, relatively soft because it's the posterior maxilla. And then all of a sudden you hit something a little harder and you get a little tension and you're like, okay, you're looking at where the stopper is in relation to the crest of the ridge. And if you have like five millimeters and you feel a lot of tension, switch out your drill stop. You might have measured incorrectly. But if it's like a millimeter or two up and you don't feel like you're going to drop the whole burr into the sinus, pop right through it. Your drill stopper will stop you. And I like to push through the floor of the sinus with the burr. And then I go and check with my uh, rounded ball burnisher instrument with the stopper to make sure I'm through. And then oftentimes when you get a mirror, make sure it's cleaned with alcohol so you can see clearly. 
you do some surgical suction right on the osteotomy and you're looking in the mirror right when they pull the suction away, you can also see the membrane and you'll be able to tell that there's a difference between what would look like cortical bone and what would look like, you know, membrane, it looks a little darker. You can kind of see that it's like a little tissue-like substance on the top of the osteotomy. Once you see a few of them, you'll know if you're through or not. And then if you see like, you know, darkness in there, you might have torn it. And now you're seeing like the darkness within the sinus. But all that comes with a little bit of experience on that. So let's picture uh, six millimeters of bone. We have six millimeters of vertical bone height. So first I'll cut. The first burr has an active tip on it. I'll cut about two to three millimeters. Then that will be at your high speed, like normal, right? Like 2,000 water. Then you're going to, what we do is I bump the speed down to 50 newton centimeters at 50 RPMs. And that's going to be slow, slow drilling. So now we're at two to three millimeters, let's say three millimeters, right? So now I'm going to put my four millimeter stopper in. And now my osteotomy is going to go down to four. Then I take that out. I put a five millimeter stopper in. I put it in and I press in. And guess what? It doesn't go down because there's bone. But in the mouth, you see that there's a millimeter gap between the stopper burr and the crest of the bone. So now I drill again, 50 to 50, to slow until the burr reaches the crest of the bone. And then I take that out and I put a six on. Then I put the six in, I press in, and guess what? Again, it still doesn't go all the way down. So I still have a millimeter gap between the bone and the stopper. And then I press again, um, I, I drill again, 50 at 50. I drill down and it stops right on the crest of the bone because the, the drill stopper will not let it proceed any further. Then I take that out and I put a seven millimeter stopper on. And then I press that in and it goes, it goes in. You're like, ooh, interesting. How come that one advanced, but my one before it didn't? Well, you just removed the crest of bone right there. And now all you have left over is just the membrane. So at that point, now you can start to work to you know, you know, pack bone or PRF or pack bone, or you can actually use like a xenograft material. Dune, what's the xenograft material? Oh, is it Novabone? Yeah, yeah, Novabone. So you can actually use Novabone, which is a liquid paste. Um, it's actually a little bit more error-proof because you're not packing granules up. Some people get a little bit afraid of packing granules up, which I don't think is a concern. But if we can also protect it a little bit easier by just using paste to lift the membrane up, that's, that's amazing too. Now, what is the width of this osteotomy burr that you got the drill stops on? 2.4. So the first one is 2.4. So after you reach the width and you actually know exactly the sinus, like the, the area that you lift to your sinus. So now you're going to start using every burr to the depth gauge that was one less than the actual sinus floor width, right? Because if you go through it with the seven, then you're going to want to put a six on. So that way you're just not constantly going past the apex and, and making sure you could tear the membrane. So we would be drilling anything wider with the six millimeter stopper. And it can go up to, I think, a 3.6. Yeah. And then once you're at 3.6, if you're having a hard time, like maybe I got to place like a six millimeter diameter implant, then just take your um, regular drills in and you just run it at 50 50 and just open the apex up enough where your implant can sit in there and not like wobble on the crest of the ridge and just kind of drive in. But also consider it, you know, you have minimal height. You know, in some places you're placing a 10, but you're, you have minimal height where it's native bone engaging it. So you want to condense as much of that as possible, torque the sucker out so you're not worried about, you know, minimal stability in the sinus lift, all of the above. If you get minimal stability and you're like, okay, I'm going to I'm gonna leave this thing. Yeah, I'm talking about like a 10, 
1015 on your torque. I pick a healing abutment size that's wider than the um, diameter of the implant because God forbid they bite into an ultimate gobstopper and try to drive that thing up into the sinus. The width of that healing abutment is wider than the osteotomy and it can't physically get driven up there if you don't have a lot of torque. But if you're up to like a 40 and 50 and you torque these implants out, they're not going to drive that thing in anywhere. Has that happened to you? So it's never happened to me, but what has happened is, and actually this happened at our last course, you know, we were driving the, the implant in and they were putting a little bit too much pressure into a very soft ridge in the vertical and they popped the implant into the sinus because they were just pushing a little too hard. And it was a difficult case. So it's no knock on the doc who was doing it. It was just, you know, technique sensitive type of thing where we're doing a little bit more advanced vertical approach. And so initially you kind of see the implant kind of hanging out there and you're trying to grab it with some cotton forceps to get it through the hole that was created. But then it just went off and disappeared. So we had to do a lateral window and go find it. So it was a good learning experience. Patient texted me actually on Sunday because she'd been a patient here for a while and uh, she said everything is fine. That's good to hear. The good news is, I mean, you know, you can have that happen and then you just tack it up, close her up, primary closure over the top and good sinus precautions. And, and the patients are usually okay after the fact too. And that's literally the worst thing that can happen on a, a vertical sinus lift. Don't do that. Don't do that. <laughs> yeah. I've pushed, I've pushed okay. a root tip into the sinus before. I've done that. Yeah. I think a lot of us have, especially those like divergent molars and, you know, the sinuses are pneumatized and just everywhere. So yes, yeah, happened. Yeah. I didn't do a lateral and go get it. No, I mean, sometimes they'll just, fibrous. I just ended that associate ship and just went and work somewhere else. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right, guys, I'm going to go do my startup now. <laughs> so I don't know what happened. To I'm guessing they're okay. Yeah, oftentimes the root tip can fibrous on the wall and the body will just kind of attach it to one of the walls and it's not a problem. I mean, but man, if you leave an implant up there and they say, oh, it'll just, it'll just attach to the wall of the sinus, you don't go fish it out, like you're, you're going to be in some shit yeah. for sure. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just going for seven millimeters or more, more bone, and I'm just going to shoot an implant in there. Boom. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or 6.2 rounded to seven. Yeah, exactly, right? Almost <laughs> seven. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, after that, I mean, you just size your implant. I underprep the osteotomy significantly and then just drive the implant in there. Be aware that in the posterior maxilla, the medullary bone, so I'm not talking about the crest of the ridge, the medullary bone underneath the crest is sometimes really, really soft. So if you're going subcrestal with your implant placement, you're getting a lot of the stability of that implant from the crest of the ridge. As soon as the implant starts to descend past the crest of the, the ridge, look at your torque value on your implant. It'll go 60, 40, 20, and then stop, Okay. Don't drop that sucker down to the point where you're losing all your stability, even if you want like this beautiful emergence profile and all of that stuff. Be aware at least what you're doing if you're going for zero, the zero bone loss protocol, but be aware that you're going to be dropping stability. And if that's happening at a very rapid rate, just know what's happening is you're going below the crest of the ridge and losing your stability. So how do we know how much graft material to use? Typically, when you're using this technique and there's a bone graft carrier, and it's basically an amalgam carrier, <laughs> right? That's repurposed into a bone graft carrier. Uh, we just use two of the larger end, and we use just two stoppers full. Mm -hmm. That's all. 
and to qualify that statement, it's only if you're going for a minimal amount of graft. But if you're trying to go for five and six millimeters of actual vertical tenting to occur, then you can use more. I would say for verticals, I don't think you really need more than 0.5 millimeters of cortical cancellous bone. I think by the time you're loading that into the site, you know, it's like watching paint dry. It's going to be very slow. Um, you can always take a, a PA and see what's going on and see how much like actual height you're creating too, because it'll show up on the x-ray. Just don't feel the need to like overfill it. And the same thing with laterals. You know, when we get to laterals, you don't have to use so, so much where you completely fill the entire sinus up. It looks awesome on your x-rays, but again, you can cause a, a chronic rhinosinusitis that you're going to have to send to the ENT and then they're going to just vacuum that stuff out of there anyways. So you got to just kind of figure out what, what works best in your hands. So what do we do if we take our PA at the end of it and instead of seeing a nice tenting, we're seeing kind of a, a poof. <laughs> and it's just almost like yeah. an explosion of, well, how did that get all the way up there? And that doesn't look like the right shape. Just know it's happened to everyone. I have a CT that looks like that and it looks like a, a Z or a lightning bolt of bone because I didn't feel the tear. Usually you can feel it. You have tension, 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 and then all of a sudden, no tension when you're packing it through the osteotomy. But this one I didn't feel for whatever reason, and then so you see that the poof. A couple of options. If it's a lot of bone and a big tear and it's just floating around inside the sinus, you can take the implant out, try to get some suction up there and, and clean it out and rinse it out. Option two, if you're proficient at laterals, carve a lateral, go clean it up, try to lift the thing up and put something to plug the hole. Bioexclude works really well over uh, torn membranes where the bioexclude can actually fit over the tear. And you can have a, a good circumference of material over the, the tear in the membrane. But for a lot of us who are just doing verticals without lateral experience, you're going to put the patient on sinus precautions. You're going to prescribe Augmentin. You're going to let them know what to watch for. You're going to bring them back in for a post-op CT. A lot of the times that will just flush out of there okay. The osteum, which is kind of up by the, the junction point of the eye and the nose, is the drain for the sinus. Uh, most patients' osteums are big and not occluded from day one, so it can drain. However, if it plugs the osteum and they're getting chronic sinus issues and bad odors and pressure in there, then you're going to have to explore other options in terms of maybe a referral or ENT or antibiotics in a neti pot to have them flush that stuff out of there as best as possible. So for the most part, if you're not packing a whole crap ton of bone up there, and that's why me and Brisky are conservative, you're not plugging the osteum up, but maybe uh, consider on your pre-op CBCT seeing if you can see that little hole up there and looking for the osteum to make sure that there's you're going into an otherwise healthy sinus, but also a sinus that's not plugged up. And your pre-op questions with the patients are, hey, chronic sinus issues, allergies when uh, the pollen kicks up. Talk to me about all these different things. I mean, we actually had something uh, with the Jehovah's Witness where you got to be very careful about blood draws and stuff like that. So make sure there's no religious restrictions to the things you're doing as well. So a lot of things to, to cover on it. But at the end of the day, to answer your question, 85% of the time you have that poof occur, uh, sinus precautions, and tell them what to expect. But don't freak out. It's typically okay. Just find another associate chip. 
<laughs> yeah. Yeah. Pretty much you got to move across the United States on that one. <laughs> All right, guys. Talk about Colorado Surgical Institute and where uh, listeners can find more information on what you guys offer. Yeah. So if you're specifically interested in the vertical course, um, we are running that next one in March of next year. You can go to Colorado Surgical Institute.com and check out the dates. We have that in conjunction with our single implant course. So obviously, if we're doing a vertical, you're placing the implant at the same time. So we do a a pre-call with every attendee who wants to do verticals because we want to make sure we're picking the right case selection for you. Because when we're just doing singles and it's a slam dunk, there's a mile and a half of bone and you're coming in with experience, we don't want to give you the easy cases. So if you want to request a little bit more complexity, some difficult cases, some different ways to think about and get creative with the surgeries, we do the pre-call so we can make sure we match the right patient for the right skill level. And that next course is coming up in March. We're running four of those courses next year and then four of our full arch courses where we're going to have lateral sinus grafts, block grafts, all of the above. So we're going to run a total of eight courses next year, and we might bring in the IV sedation and oral sedation courses kind of midway through through next year as well. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time today, guys, and we will uh, do another topic next time. Cool. Thanks, Paul. Hey, everybody. This is Dr. Doom from Colorado Surgical Institute. Just wanted to give you guys a shout out and let you know about the program. We have full arch surgeries. We have lateral sinus lifts. We have block grafting courses all done in one weekend with the whole digital workflow with photogametry units, scanners, 3D printers, milling, you name it, anything regarded to full arch, we cover in depth. We also have a PGCA course. What that is, it's the Postgraduate Clinical Accelerator course where we are going to be covering wisdom teeth, single implants, and it can be complex single implants with vertical sinus lifts. We'll also be covering full arch extractions with ridge reduction, bone grafting, PRP, suturing, and we also will have a course on socket preservation. So if you guys are interested in any of those courses, please reach out to us at Colorado Surgical Institute. The code is HERO10 for 10% off our courses because we love Paul Etchison and his podcast, and we're here to help.